You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hey, welcome to Tech Fan number 243. I'm Tim Robertson, and I've got a new guest this week. His name is Mark Chappelle. <laughs> ah, I give you all this briefing. I give you the whole rundown and why it's Chappell and not Chappelle. I'm not French. I'm not Canadian French. I'm not Anglo-Irish French. I'm just good old British. I, I had to do I, it. I had to do it, Mark. <laughs> I, I think as well, the, the little known fact, I think we're the only country possibly in the world with the word great before it. Hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean we are, but it might be an interesting fact. I'm that, sure that one is, of the listeners. I've out never there thought about it. Yeah, I'm sure I, someone out there is actually going to go. Well, did you know that back in 1843, you tell me about a country that had to rename itself. I always thought the great in Great Britain was not because they were great, but because it was the largest. That's where the central government was when you guys pretty much ruled the whole world. And so it was Great Britain rather than some of the colonies that Britain had throughout the world. Well, well the way I like to look at it is that we don't just own, we didn't just own the world. We gave that up in favor of the universe because all time starts from London or Greenwich. That's so true. We are zero, so we are technically all time lords. <laughs> so, Mark, uh, let's talk about you a little bit. Uh, some of our listeners might not know who you are. You've never been on Tech Fan. In fact, I don't think you and I have ever actually done a podcast together in the no, history of podcasting. Spoken, I think we've spoken more since we've had the Slack group, which has been really good to uh, be getting on with. Um, about me, I write for a website called essentialmac.co.uk. I gave up with Windows PCs right around the time when Vista came along, and it was either a choice of running headfirst into a brick wall trying to just print something, uh, or I just happened to get a bit windfall. I just so happened to hear of this, oh, what was his name? Steve somebody? Yeah. Um, you just you couldn't move without hearing Steve Jobs this, Steve Jobs that. Yeah. Uh, and then I ended up buying an, uh, what, my, a 2000 and something white iMac. Uh, hated it at first, absolutely hated it. The, the close button was on the wrong side. Why is program, why, you know, why are programs not quitting when I close a window and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then I ended up, this sounds really stupid, but I ended up finding lots of little widgets and gadgets to do something really, really simple, like resizing images. I could just drag and drop in uh, uh, an image into an, uh, an applet and it would resize it and push it into a directory. And then I found that not only could I do that, I could then resize it and FTP it. Now, I know you can do this on Windows, but you try searching for a quality app within the Windows universe, and it's just so much spam. Yep. And then you end up going to Cena or Softpedia, then you end up getting a virus, and then the next thing you know, you've got emails offering to help me build an erection. And I'm thinking, well, my dad's already a builder at the back, so why do I need your help? <laughs> Uh, and so and that's where my love affair sort of um, started. And I think it was on Mountain Lion. And I could, it was great because it was like you could just tell this was, although the Mac has been out for a while, you just tell that this was an operating system still in its infancy and they've dropped things along the line. And I've had my fair share of pain with it because obviously coming from in the office that I was in, Nobody had a Mac. No computers would talk to a Mac. I didn't really know the threat Mac networking. Office absolutely sucked. Uh, as we all know, Pages did, was absolutely sucked. But yeah, for some reason, 
you just stick through it and you just want to, you know, you want to find it and you will, you're willing it to work. Whereas on Windows, I was just going, you know what, this is just madness. Um, so now, spinning forward, uh, I've got, I'm talking to you now from my 2009 MacBook Pro with 8 gig. Uh, it's had a new lease of life recently with an SSD and uh, it, it's struggling a little bit, but I'm absolutely amazed at the longevity of it. It's a seven-year-old machine. Uh, let me just click about this, Mark. I mean, it, it's seven years old, and you're still using it on a daily basis. Yeah, it's a 13-inch, mid-2009, 2.26 Intel Core 2 Dual of 8 gigs. And yes, now you've put it that way, you've just made me think, blimey, it is. And I'm still using it for podcasting, video editing, browsing the web. Uh, it occasionally has a bit of a hiccup, and it goes a little bit slow, but... Considering I got I got given uh, an i3 uh, Windows laptop with a bigger screen and bigger hard drive, uh, it just it takes about ten minutes for it to do something to boot up. Just because I, and I'm really really good at optimizing it. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not really good. I'm capable of optimizing it, getting rid of all the things in startup, uh, and I just hate using it. So this machine here is. The battery doesn't really work, but it's gone around the world with me. It's been dropped onto the floor, but protected by my rucksack bag. Um, it's been brilliant. And at home, I've got an iMac 20, mid-2012. And again, that's suffering a little bit because we had a lightning strike and it knocked out the network uh, port. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And it's going to cost me three hundred uh, pounds to get it fixed. Even though one of my fr- uh, one of my friends from the Mac and Forth show uh, sent me a Thunderbolt to Ethernet cable, you can just tell that something's not quite happy, not quite right in it. And so, and now I'm running a 2015 Mac Mini, which I love. But I wish I'd probably spent a bit more and sacrificed the processor for graphics, basically. To go with what? Uh, I, I do like to play the odd game now and again. And the Mac Mini really isn't designed for that no, at all. No, it's not. Uh, no. Which is unfortunate because I'm reviewing at the moment XCOM 2 for the MyMac.com website. And I'm having to play it in the most minimal resolution I can on my iMac, which is... Ugh. Yeah, you know, I look. I'm a hardcore Mac user, obviously, but I almost gave up on gaming on the Mac at this point in my life. I love video games. Don't get me wrong. Um, anybody who listens to this podcast know I talk about arcades and rebuilding them and, and stuff like that all the time. So I'm more into classic gaming, which will run fine on my Mac. But I don't know. I, I when it comes to shooters like a, a SOCOM type of game, I'll break out the PS4. I mean, I I am still a, a firm believer of if you want to do gaming on the desktop, get get a PC because it's just so much better at it. Get a PC, yeah. get Steam. Uh, you're going to spend a lot of money on a really good graphic card and all that. But games are really coded for Windows in a way that. I don't care how popular, and I don't think it's popular at all. The Mac App Store is for gaming. They just, they just don't seem to work as great as you expect them to be. Um, I, and I don't know why, because the the Mac OS operating system itself is so much better than Windows, and yet I, gaming still kind of sucks on the Mac. I think it's down 
and I'm sure there's more developers out there who will scream at me for saying this, I think it's down to a mix of OpenGL. Uh, and there's still this... Uh, it's, it's like the whole App Store phenomenon. We're so ingrained now that paying anything more than 99 cents mm-hmm. for an app is like an absolute out- outrage. That paying anything more than $14.99 for a good game on the Mac is just like, well, wow, that seems expensive. Yeah, people will, you know, I bet you any money there's quite a few Mac users out there who will go and drop $60, $70 on a game for their PS4. If, if, I, was, if I was a true gamer, uh, I would probably get a PS4 and have my, you know, have a fairly decent spec Mac. But uh, I, I can't get half the, well, I like playing XCOM in XCOM 2. And I know you can get XCOM 4, the PS3, in, um, at the moment. But I really want to play XCOM 4. I was looking around at seeing how you could put an external graphics card into uh, onto my Mac Mini using Thunderbolt. You can't. Uh, you can't. No. The Mac OS doesn't. The Mac OS doesn't. Uh, won't take advantage of it. Now you can get a breakout box uh, like a, a Thunderbolt two PCIe breakout box. Connect a monitor to that, but you're still not going to get the raw horsepower you would if it was actually on the PCIe bus internally. It just doesn't thing, work as good. And one thing that I've um, that's always interested me, and this sort of I, I watched the new Steve Jobs film the other day with Michael Fassenbender in it, uh, and there was one thing. There was a segment in that where he said uh, it's the Mac G. The Mac, one of the Macs was twice as fast as a Pentium Two Three Hundred or something like that. Yeah, that was and at I the wonder, time. At, uh, that was the early G Three models. Yes. Yeah, and they said it was uh, basically he was like doing this rehearsal bit, saying twice. It basically, said it's twice as fast. Now, I'm wondering, does that apply with some of the graphics card processing, that although the graphics cards aren't as fast, because of the underlying architecture and hopefully metal uh, coming into play, are we going to see an increase in performance coming onto the Mac anytime soon for intensive games? Because you know, we, we, we are starting to get the AAA titles come siphoning through. Yeah, and um, I think some of the problems there, though, is they are conversions. They're not written for the platform, which is why I still... I, I, they just seem clumsy to me, a lot of them. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, it will help simply because, you know, back in the day when the, the Macs were twice as fast as a comparable PC, um, most games didn't push out graphics to a GPU. Uh, it really wasn't a thing back then. So, you know, that is a thing now. So you're you're going to get a, a computer that's going to push a lot of that processing out to the GPU, which is dedicated for graphics, rather than the internal CPU. And that's going to increase everything. And then with the underlying technologies like Metal, where it's really optimized to use GPU rather than CPU, you're going to get even more with common libraries and stuff like that. But unless they actually write these games in such a way that it's doing it natively, rather than emulation or conversion... I, I'm just not confident that we're going to see this big uptick. In, so here's in a question gaming. for you then. So we've got metal coming onto the iPhone and onto the Mac. Uh, the with, with most apps being only, yeah, let's say for example, ninety nine cents. Is there any incentive, or is it actually easy enough for developers to say, right, I'm going to take advantage of metal for the majority of the games on there? Or do you think this is Apple's way of saying, right? 
we've now given you the power to use graphics as they are fully on an iDevice, go forth and multiply. It's hard to say. I don't think Apple's ever really been serious about gaming. Um, but I think what Apple would really like to see is a write-once-run-anywhere type of scenario when it comes to a lot of the applications out there that take advantage of metal. So if you write a game for the iPad, why not push it out to the Mac? Why not push it out to the Apple TV 3? Why not push it out to the iPhone? Whatever platform Apple's selling, they would love it if you could just push it out with a, a couple clicks of a button, and it's going to be great no matter which platform you're on. Will it happen? I don't know. I I don't think it's a, an issue with the developers or Apple. I think it's the consumers. We are now conditioned, like you said, we just don't want to spend a lot of money on games, even AAA titles. But yet they're not having this problem on Steam, which is the PC side of things. They're not having this problem on uh, home consoles, the Xbox One or the PS4. It just seems to be in mobile, and Apple's entire gaming platform for the Mac seems to be just do what you're doing on, on mobile and bring it over to the Mac. Very few titles, I think. SOCOM is, is a good example of one that is not really uh, a port from an iOS or an Android device, but a PC port. Um, that's that's Apple's game right now. It's It's make the same apps for the desktop and and even then they're not really promoting it very well How, when's the yeah, last time that you know anybody went to the mac app store to download and check out gaming i mean i i don't know anybody who does that uh, unless it's a editor's pick uh when when you hit the apple site then pretty much never speaking of something completely different but on gaming did you see that um there's a demo go sorry there's a video going around on youtube of uh, you can now natively, sorry, not, you can now run uh, C sharp iOS code on Windows. No. Uh, basically, this guy showed the X code, and then it was running uh, this Mr. Jump style game. And it's like, whoa, that that's that's potentially very interesting. We talked about something like that a while back. Someone was converting, or someone had a conversion tool so that you could run iOS games on a Windows box. Um. And it you could, they were converting the the touch to keyboard mouse that sort of thing, um, but I don't know. I do you think uh, there's a a market for that? I think because uh, the PC is more than fast enough to run any iOS game, even in oh, emulation. Yeah. And for what I saw, it looked like I mean they didn't give away the specs of the machine, but for what I saw, you know, it obviously was yeah, it hadn't been compiled uh, and optimized for Windows. It's it's interesting to know that yes, you could maybe get some apps running on Windows, but then is it? It's sort of the, the, my immediate my immediate reaction was well, what about Swift? And they said no, it won't run Swift code. It might help Windows Mobile uh, a little bit because Lord only knows after trying a Windows Mobile phone for a few days, it certainly needs all the help it can get. <laughs> it's not long for this world, I don't think. And, and that's a shame because it's not bad. It's got some ideas, but I wrote about this um, a few weeks ago to say, you know, I, I was looking at buying a Windows phone just purely because I wanted a second phone for going away on holiday, have it unlocked, I don't have to muck around with my iPhone, etc., etc. 
And every time I was going onto a website to look for Windows Phone uh, units, it had another price drop. And it's like, oh, it's just been reduced by $20, by a third of $20, and now it's half price, now it's gone back up. And to me, that was just a surefire way to dent any confidence I had in a platform because they just kept dropping it and dropping it. And the last thing you do is you, know, you want to buy something and go, oh, if I didn't waited another week, I could have got it cheaper. And, you know, the problem is iOS is so good and Android is not far behind. I mean, it, it has some security issues, obviously, but it's not bad either. I don't know where Windows fits in. I mean, if you just want a cheap phone, you get Android. Uh, if you don't want to be in the Apple universe, then you're still going to get Android. Maybe you get an expensive Android device. But where does Windows fit in? I, I You know, Microsoft is making apps now for Android devices and iOS. So if you just need to access your Microsoft data, you can do that regardless of what device that you're on. I mean, that's Microsoft's whole play coming up here. So I, I, I don't understand. And, and they've gutted Nokia at this point. It's, it's dead. So I, yeah. I, I just don't understand what Microsoft's even doing in mobile at this point, other than supporting the more popular platforms. It, it just seems like a, a, a money-losing situation. They can offer all the spiffs that they want to the salesmen and all the different retail stores for their phones, but at the end of the day, a consumer simply doesn't want it. Well, yeah, you bring up a good point there about the spiffs because you go into a mobile phone shop, and I will guarantee it'll be, oh, we've got this, Andro I've got an Android device. And the problem I find with Android is that you try to tell someone about Android device, and they go, oh, yeah, Samsung. No, it's Android, not Samsung. Looking at the um, – on Amazon Black Friday, I was really hoping to find a Windows phone then on the Black Friday sales. Uh, unless I missed it, I certainly couldn't find one. So it just makes me wonder, you know, just, well, it's like you said, it, it doesn't really fit in. I mean, it's not bad. It's a nice enough operating system. But the person that was using it said, you know, just she just simply couldn't get on with it. Uh, and I had the same problem until I had to upgrade once to Windows 8, the Windows 8.1. And it's better, but it's it just feels nothing more than a... Um, and also ran. Right now. Yeah, it just feels like a... Oh, was it like the old Palm devices where everything is a web page, but the web page looks like an app? Yep. Yeah, it, it's... And and the thing is, I, I think Palm, when they got bought out by HP, I think that they had a really good opportunity to be number two. Um, they were out the door faster than Android. Their operating system was much more mature and better than Android at the time. They just gave up on it way too fast. And even then, Microsoft was kind of flailing in the wind. Um, you know, it seems obvious now, but Apple really did just destroy the entire cell phone industry with oh, one yeah. product. And we're not even we're not even 10 years yet. You know, the first iPhone came out in 2007. 2007 it's it's we still have a year to go from the 10 year anniversary you know i i remember sitting wow. in the audience in 2007 at macworld expo watching steve jobs unveil the iphone i was in that audience i saw it firsthand oh wow and i'm not even at that 10 year anniversary yet that will be january of 2017 and 
in that time, because Apple released that device, it changed the entire, not just the cell phone industry, it changed everything. Uh, we never heard about apps before. You know, apps were applications. It was Adobe Photoshop. It was Microsoft Word. It was those kind of things. Or it was shareware stuff. Or it was, you know, some games. But there was no apps. There was no such thing. It was the introduction of that phone in 2007 that changed the the it, so many industries. Think about how many companies exist now because of it. Twitter didn't exist. That came out because of the iPhone. Do you think Facebook would be what they are today if it wasn't for mobile? I don't. I don't oh, think it well, would, it would no, be nothing. It, it, Facebook is Facebook is the ultimate tool for distracting because you. If you spend any more than three seconds waiting in the supermarket line to get to the queue, what do people do? They yeah. whip out their book, whip out their phone, uh, and they're on, well, they're on the Facebook. Personally, uh, I I struggle now to use Facebook, finding out, if, working out where someone's posted something interesting and where it's a blinking advert or something like that. But yeah, I'm I'm in the minority, and I accept that because I'm starting to get old and not you know, going. I don't understand how this works. You know who's probably the happiest with the iPhone on the non-technology professions? Chiropractors. <laughs> everyone's looking to, everyone's getting bad necks and backs now. <laughs> but, but again, when the iPhone came, it was, oh, you know, it, it's, uh, there was a big thing about it was going to stunt people's fingers and, you know, it's going to have an, uh, an increase in, uh, what's it called, uh, RSI. You don't hear about that because you know it's like evolution. People adapt to tapping on glass. That's true. And just recently on on the tube and you know, on, especially going through the airport, I've seen more and more people now start typing on glass. And I'm thinking that's a skill that I can't do. And you know, but then again, I like the the old IBM PSG keyboards that when you press a key, it sounds like Mount, Vesu Mount Vesuvius exploding. That's it. If I'm not typing and annoying <laughs> someone in the background, but then it shoots you in the foot because then when you're not typing, people go, well, obviously he's not working very hard. But that's not the point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an amazing phenomenon that we've been around. And it, it when it comes to industry, it, it happened overnight. You know, something that's less than 10 years old completely changed the world. Uh, for the best or for the worst, I'm not. I can't say I think for the best myself, but I mean, think about the adoption of GPS um, until the iPhone came out. Well, not the first one, but until the iPhone came out and, and this whole mobile push, very few people had actual GPS devices. I remember I had bought a navigation unit for my car and that was such a big deal. Now everybody has navigation, everybody, because this is a, it's in your pocket. I remember buying my first digital camera. No, you know, very few people had a digital camera, and then it was kind of slowly rolling out. The iPhone comes out. Everybody has a digital camera now. But wasn't it funny that, so even, even on the earlier devices, if you stuck a sat-nav onto it, it was still way more responsive than these devices that had been out for absolutely years and years. Oh, there's a new generation with new maps. And they were slow to update. The maps took forever to refresh. You could be stopped, and the map, would, you know, the the map would still be moving. And yet, the iPhone comes along and goes, "Well, this is just responsive because we put money into this." We, I think, where the iPhone has been a success is that they haven't just gone, "Oh well, we're happy with this. Let's just leave it like that. Let's run the market dry 
uh, until we can't get any more money out of it, until we've exhausted all options. And then we'll look at you know, creating something new. And it's, I think it's only been in the last couple of years that companies have had to start really thinking about keep on iterating devices to keep them relevant rather than saying, well, we've got a five-year life cycle of this device or that device, or even with software now. Uh, whereas before, well, I'm sure you remember the days back when you'd buy a bit of software on a floppy disk, and that was it. That was it. Yeah. You, yeah. you, if, if you bought something like Adobe um, English, uh, PageMaker, I think it would be back then, you bought that, that was it. You were stuck with that forever. Now, granted, you could say maybe it was a better quality of software because there wasn't as much complexity to it, but I don't know. It's, it, it just, it's just annoyed me how Apple did the obvious. And I will admit, when I saw the iPhone come out, and Steve did, and you can browse the internet, and I was, and I remember sitting to myself thinking, so you, you should be able to do that anyway. And then it was only when I looked at my phone, and I was getting, I did if you had it over there in the USA, WAP. Yeah, sure. WAP pages. I'm thinking, ah, yeah. I see your point now. Yeah, the, when I got my very first iPhone, I remember um, sitting in my living room, and I somebody said something online or on the television about a website or something. And I just pulled up my iPhone and went there and it just worked. And I thought, wow, now imagine being able to do this anywhere you're at. Uh, because the first iPhone had really slow internet connection. Um, but now it, it's such a different world. It's such a different world. If I went back just 10 years ago with my iPhone six plus, it, it, I, it would blow my, at that, at that point, uh, 36 year old mind. Like, oh my God, the, look at the graphics on here. It's just, this is unreal. It's better than computers are right now. Uh, I can browse the internet. I could do all of this. I could check my email. It, look at all these different applications on here. I could play games with this thing. It has a very sophisticated calculator. I could do spreadsheets. I could do word processing. I could do all of this stuff, which simply didn't really exist. Look, we, we, we texted back then with flip phones and stuff. But it was short text because you had to push the same key like three times to get a certain letter, right? And you'd be charged an absolute fortune per Absolutely. Text. Yeah, it was like five, ten cents per text or something at one point. It's like, well, I, I don't want to text too much because I'm limited on how many texts I can. Now you don't even think about it. You can write whole, a whole book in text if you wanted to. And not just typing it. You could actually speak into the text window, and they get an audio uh, audio file. You can record a video, and they get that video file, and it looks just as good as when you recorded it. The iPhone changed so much. It's it's you know this is funny because Mark and I really didn't have a, a whole big long list of topics that we were going to talk about today. In fact, I've only got one, and we haven't even got to it. We'll get to that after the break. But <clears throat> this is what I was talking about, Mark, before we actually started recording. I don't always like putting a list together because I kind of like to see where conversations go organically and who knew that this is what we were going to be talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, just thinking about it now, what I take for granted. But so I also, what I take for granted, it also annoys me when something doesn't go, you know, it's, when something doesn't quite work as well as it should. So for an example, uh, at the moment, I'm in Munich. and I've been using my phone to get around, to navigate. I'm pretty confident now that as long as I've got battery and data, I'm going to get home. And that's such a weird thing to be reliant on. 
the last uh, podcast that I recorded, uh, I was out walking the dog, walking around the park and just recording my thoughts. Yeah. Uh, I managed to splice the whole show together on my phone. And then next thing you know, I've got it uploaded to Dropbox. I've gone into Orthonic. I've told it to pull the file from Dropbox, do the leveling, put the auto hub, push it into Google Drive. In a web browser, I've done that. I wait five minutes. I then go into uh, Opinion, which is what I use for for hosting the show. I've downloaded the file, and then I've pushed it, and boom, my podcast is up there. It's crazy. And it's like, and it's absolutely bonkers. But on the other hand, it sometimes annoys me. Then what I always find interesting, we spend so much time, not just you and me, but in general, everyone focuses on the iPhone. The iPad just seems to, I'm always tempted to get rid of my iPad because I just hit so many cases where it will do 80% of what I want it to do, but the last 20% is a nightmare. And all I want to do is resize an image, knowing the, uh, I want to be able to crop an image, or sorry, I want to be able to create a canvas, <coughs> put my image into that canvas, so I need to be able to resize it. And then save that image and have it look half decent. And you can't. Even Pixelmator for iOS, I find it, it doesn't use the right um, compression algorithm. And so if you do it on the Mac, it looks perfect. Same, same uh, methodology, you know, open up a canvas, drop your images, use the grab handles, constraint proportions, frame it how you want it. On a Mac, it just looks so much better. So it means I can do it, but... I'm not happy with the results that I'm getting from. And is that an edge case? Should I be dinging the iPad for that? Or should I be thinking, is this the mm, case? There's probably of- tools that will do it as well. I know Adobe's hard at work making basically iPad apps, less iPhone, but more iPad apps that are behaving more like the desktop versions. So, but that's going to, that's going to be expensive. This is why I was coming to, because it's sort of sometimes you feel like you've got good developers, but sometimes good developers aren't the best users. Oh, they I sort agree. Of, they, have, they, have, they have a methodology in which they work to. As long as everything works, that's great. And for the most, that works. But when you get down to the usage cases of being able to do this, um, the only developer I can think of who really listened to podcast workflows in how to actually do a podcast on your iPad is the developer of an app called Ferrite. I don't know if you've heard of that. I have not. It's, I'm just going to look up the web page now. I've got a review copy of this. And basically, it's a whole podcast editing suite in your iPhone. In your, so on your iPhone or iPad. And it's all right on the iPhone, but for once, it's an app that just works so much better with the with the iPad because you have this um, big grey area. And I'm thinking, well, this seems like a big waste of space. Until I actually read the darn instructions, then that's how you scrub the timeline. And when you scrub the timeline, all of a sudden, you're flicking through your edit points, you're dropping markers, you can do uh, automatic so it's silence. Fairlight Recording Studio. That's the one. Yeah. I'll put a link in the uh, show notes, so if anybody's interested in it, you'll be able to find it. Um, it is, it's free, but if you have it and you're interested in podcasts, please pay the money to support the developer, because he worked with, well, sorry, 
he was in contact with Federico Vitici, who seems to be the, the fountain of all trying to do everything on an iPad. Uh, and basically he was speaking to Federico about how to do, I think it's Federico, about how to do podcasts. Uh, and, that, and that's where the, the things like being able to do automatic silence detection. So if there's, a, so if you pause, you can find the gap and say, right, trim a little bit off each side, then you can just shuffle it all together. It, it is fantastic. You can get it for free, but obviously the paid for features just do add that little bit more to it. So this is what I mean with the iPad. It's, you know, it's so easy for me to pull out my iPhone, but when I do pull out my iPad and I get the same app, like for example, Sorry, I'm ranting here quite vehemently. When I was looking for a house to rent the other week, uh, it was so much better on the iPad. It had more features, but whenever I get a, an app sent for review, it's always, always an iPhone app rather than an iPad app, unfortunately. My, I would hope that most companies at this point would start, unless it's something specific that you you have to, it's got to be on an iPhone. It, they all should be universal apps at this point, don't you think? They should be, but then I think there should be something unique for the iPad size. But then you get into the whole argument of, well, if I'm developing an app, I can make an app run on... You get into the whole argument then of what's the point developing for the iPad when it's just a bigger screen. Yeah, but sometimes that's the point. It's a bigger screen. You could put more on it. You could do more with the with the app itself when it's a bigger screen. I mean, that's that's an aspect that... You know, when the when the iPad first came out in 2010, I was a little skeptical at first. I thought, eh, it's it's just a bigger screen for an iPhone, except for I, I can't make calls. But then I thought, wait a minute, it's a bigger screen. That's kind of what I want. And I love my iPad now. I've got an iPad Air 2. Um, it's plenty fast for what I'm doing. And for what I use it for, it's, it's almost perfect. But I'm not like exclusive to it because I also love my iPhone six plus and I love my Mac. I love my Mac the most because I could just do so much more with my Mac, but there's a place for all three devices. And it, to me, it all comes down to usage. What are you using it for? And there's things that the iPad does much better, especially gaming than the iPhone. And there's things that the iPhone does obviously much better than the iPad, anything mobile. And then when it comes to in pictures, obviously, people that hold up those iPads in, in public taking pictures, I just want to smack them on the back of the head. Um, <laughs> and you've seen those people, too. Oh, it's just, it's just you just think, oh, if, if you're around something about like, taking pictures of art or like statues, that's fine. But when you're in a concert and you're looking at the concert through a screen, it's... It, it's uh, it's like when I used to uh, uh, I'm going to admit something I used to go and watch um, WWF when it ever came to the UK, and I did uh, I used to do this stupid thing of looking up at the monitors on the screen instead of actually watch, watching what's in the ring, and it suddenly dawned on me to train myself to look at the blinking ring. I was I might have stayed at home. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 football, American football, anyways. Uh, I remember taking my dad to a game uh, a couple of years ago. And I noticed that we both kept looking up at the screen, and that's because where our seats were, that, I mean, it's a huge stadium. You just see so much better when you're looking up at that big screen. And it dawned on me, oh, I like the experience of coming to the the stadium in some respects, but I don't know. I, you can't really beat being at home on a big flat screen watching a game where everything's a close-up and you get the good repeats and you're getting 
hopefully expert commentary. And if you're on a DVR, and most people are, you can literally pause a live sports event to go use the bathroom real quick. You know? That's true. I, I did hear an interesting uh, anecdote on a podcast the other day that when the Americans had the football, sorry, soccer World Cup, even though it is called football, because in America, technically, you throw the ball, you don't kick it, but we won't go into semantics. We do kick it, too. Was, <laughs> oh, yeah, only for... Uh, it, uh, this is an argument I'm not going to get into. <laughs> I know that I'm severely outgunned on this. Uh, the American, apparently, the U.S. broadcasters wanted to break the great game, game of soccer down into four uh, into 15 minute intervals for the sake of advertising. And so, I've never watched a Super Bowl. How long are the advert breaks in between the actual bits of playing the, the game thing? Well, between they don't break up the game, actual game play. It's um, when they change possessions, they go to commercials, and you don't notice it when you're watching it at home. But if you are at a game and you're watching it live, there are a lot of times that you're like, "What? What are they doing? Everyone's just kind of standing around waiting. What's going on? Oh, it's commercial break." And so it's a different. Again, it's a different experience when you're at home. It's not that big of a deal because that's when you go grab a some a beer out of the refrigerator or um, use the bathroom or get a snack or whatever you're going to do. You have these intervals that you know that we've been conditioned here in the U.S. for decades at this point that that's what the commercial breaks are for. But in a live event, it's completely artificial and it, and it doesn't feel like it belongs. You just get that sense of, wow, there's just a lot of wasted time. I mean, this game could be over an hour and a half sooner if we didn't have to just kind of sit here and wait for so long. So, so I suppose the concession stands get a kick out of it because everyone's so bored. They just go, right, let's get another drink. Yeah, kind of. Baseball is a little bit like that. There's a lot of kind of just down, slow, not a lot of scoring Football isn't like that. There's a reason that football is far and away the number one sport in the United States. Nothing else even comes close to the popularity of football. I mean, I know you've probably heard, oh, baseball is the, you know, America's pastime. It's not. It hasn't been for 40 years. <laughs> football is clearly the American pastime. It's it's not even close. And, and now we, we get movies about concussion and how bad these guys have it after they quit and uh, it's it's horrible. I mean, it's gladiatorial, but yet does not even slightly diminish the popularity of football. So what, uh, figure. what, what about hockey? No, hockey, there's a lot of different theories on why hockey isn't the sport here in the United States like it is in Canada. And I think it really comes down to one thing. Um, in my opinion, anyways, hockey... It's low scoring, and Americans love high scoring stuff. Um, it's hard to follow a puck on screen, even if you've got a really big TV and high definition, even 4K. I mean, that puck is going like 80 miles an hour down the ice, right? Between passes, you can't follow it really. Um, yeah. That's one aspect of it. Uh, the rules are confusing and contradictory, number two. And number three, at any point in a, high, in a hockey game, two guys would just start fighting. And the refs just kind of back off and let them fight for a few minutes. 
and there's a sense of wrongness, I think, to most Americans that, wait a minute, this is supposed to be a, a, a hockey game. Why are they literally throwing fists and hitting each other? And it's just accepted. Oh, well, he threw a punch, and so he gets a, a two-minute. Now, if you want to become a family sport, one that's widely accepted by the the, the people who watch, <laughs> you can't have people fighting. And if they start fighting, they're they're kicked out of the sport for a year. That They go, well, you can't take fighting out of hockey. There's no way they'll stop. Yes, it is. You take away their paycheck for a year because they got into a fist fight? I, you would never see a fist fight in professional football without massive penalties, massive fines. So you don't see it very often. Same thing in baseball. There's big fines if you get into a fist fight. In hockey, you get a two-minute timeout. It, it's ridiculous. One quick question. So you've, I think you've been to a few games. Have you ever been to, to a stadium and experienced uh, eye beacon? No, I haven't. Usually when I go to a sporting event like that, uh, I leave technology out of it. You know, I, I'm there for the sport itself. And, and, yeah. and, you know, what kind of a picture can I really get of the field? Unless I'm really, really close. And I'm not. Because <laughs> those tickets are really, really expensive. Uh, I'm not going to get really great photos. So the only photos I'm going to take, like when I took my dad to a couple of Detroit Lion football games is selfies. You know, I put the camera out and took a picture of him and I in the stadium sitting in our seats. I like Before that Before we photo. go any further, and this might end up two-minute in a call, you're not one of those people with a selfie stick, are you? No. Right, no. that's right. We can continue then. Yeah. My, <laughs> now, my 12-year-old daughter, we got her one for Christmas because she takes so many selfies. It's, it's crazy. Uh, every time I sync one of my old iPhones, which is what she uses, um, as more of a glorified iPod Touch at this point, but every time I plug one in, it, it's selfie after selfie after selfie. And it it, it kind of cracks me up, to be honest. So we got her a selfie stick for Christmas, thinking, perfect gift for her. She's way into selfies. She'll use this. She used it Christmas Day, and I haven't seen one photo taken with it since. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of proud of her for that fact. Like, good, she didn't fall for this. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, this, the selfie, I hate the name of it. But it is kind of a cool feature when my dad and I are at a football game and it's just the two of us. I don't want to hand my phone to some stranger. Hey, could you take our picture? But I say, hey, dad, you know, hold the camera out arm's length and take our picture. That's kind of cool. Um, and by the way, photography tip for people. When you're on vacation and you're taking a lot of pictures, you yes, you want to take a few of the pictures of what you're seeing. But 10 years down the road, nobody's going to care about the picture of uh, a carnival ride that you took or a zebra or a waterfall. They're going to care about, and you're, more importantly, are going to care about the pictures of you and your family. That's actually what you want to take pictures of. What yeah. do the kids look like during this vacation? You don't, you don't really care about the entrance to the zoo or the entrance to Disney World. Because you can see that at any point online, right? You want to see what you look like there, what you were doing there, what the kids were doing there, what your spouse was doing there. Those are the pictures that you want to take. So less nature photos on vacations and more of you and the family, because let's be honest, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, those are the pictures that you like. You're not yeah. going to care about the cheetah that you took five pictures of. Who cares? 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> you care about the, the people that you're with. That's where the oh, memories definitely, are. Definitely, definitely. It's. Uh, I think for the times I, I saw, I went down to my uh, dad's and I take pictures of the scenery and all those sort of things. Then when he sadly passed away a couple of years ago, and I only had uh, one or two photos of me and him together, and it was like. Dag, now, but if only I knew then what I knew now, but such is the, the benefit of hindsight. Yeah, but, and maybe we can tell people that now. Take pictures yeah. of the people at at family gatherings and stuff. Don't um, Nobody cares enough. about the, the scenery. Nobody really, you're not going to care about it down the road. You're really not. And, and I'll be honest with you, you're not that good of a photographer, so stop taking pictures of waterfalls. <laughs> you're not that good at it, and we don't care. No. Uh, it's funny because someone because uh, I'm part of a dog walking um, social group on Facebook, and you see so many people out with these really massive, almost pretentious style cameras, and they almost start crying because they go, "Oh my God, I've just taken that in a JPEG," and I'm saying, "But the JPEG quality on that is pretty darn impressive, but it's a JPEG." And you can hear the panic in their voice. I'm saying, well, are you doing HDR? Are you dropping it into Lightroom? Lightroom will still be able to do some work. And they just kind of gloss over those small facts because they're just so mortified that it's a JPEG. You know what's funny? I've, I've got a, a fairly large collection of digital photos. I jumped on digital cameras way before most people did. Um, in fact, the first digital photo I ever took was at a Macworld 1999 with and for storage it actually it was a sony camera and it used a floppy disk and uh you put it in there and that's where it saved the photos uh so i've been using digital photography for a very long time and i have all my photos still they're all in uh apple's photo app and backed up of course multiple places i can't believe how, <laughs> over how many years how many pictures i've lost um i i don't see many uh just a in, in, remember that spot where you are. I don't see why. Whenever I look, people say to me about backing stuff up. I never hear anyone seeing the virtues of OneDrive because you launch a OneDrive app and it syncs all your photos quite nicely. It does. Uh, I just don't trust online storage. I really don't. I, I'll push stuff out there. I use Amazon. I use Dropbox. Um, David uh, is a big fan of uh, One of Microsoft's products, but I really believe in backing them up locally to an external hard drive and then preferably having an archive hard drive or two off site. So if your house catches on fire and the fire guys come in and put your house out and douses everything in water, you don't lose everything. But yeah. I, I don't know. There's something about having a physical copy. I'm making a copy of this to this hard drive. I'm backing it up to me is this very reassuring. I, I like that. But what I was saying is I've been doing digital photography for a long time. And, you know, I've been tagging faces since that became a feature in iPhoto. I don't know what, six, seven years ago when they first came out with that technology. And when we start going back through the photos, I don't look at my fit pictures and go, Oh, I could tell that was taking on the iPhone three G or that was taking on the iPhone 5. I, you don't even think about that. It was a decent photo at the time. It's still a good photo. It's it's the subject matter. It's not look at the detail. You know what I mean? So yeah. I guess my oh, point is let's not worry I mean, so much about the post-processing and 
the aperture when you're taking the photo or if it's raw or JPEG or, or what have you. It's about the subject matter, framing the photo, having good light, yeah. and having just a good photo. One of my favorite photos is uh, the very first picture I took with a digital camera. It was a one mega, I think it was a two megapixel digital camera from, I'm going to, I think it was HP um, that I actually owned. And it's of my now 22 year old daughter when she was like seven, maybe six. And she's sitting on a couch that we no longer own. And she's kind of tilting her head and it's just a really good photo. It, the light was really good. And th that day I had the drapes open. So, you know, the blinds open so you can good sunlight coming in. It's just a really good photo. I don't even think for a second, Oh, how much better would this photo have been if I was using a, a professional level camera or who cares? It's a great photo. I love that picture. At the end of the day, I think that's what people should kind of concentrate on yeah. more. It's it's the story and what the picture is trying to tell. I mean, you can have a blurry image, but as long as you... I mean, I've got pictures of my dog when she was a puppy. And even though it's not the best picture, and I know it could be sharper and all that sort of stuff, I still look at it and go, oh. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It, it gets that... It's an it emotional that, response. Yeah. yeah. And that's and that's what matters to me. Is it's, it's Sometimes it's not the quality of the picture. It's the story that you're trying to... Uh, that you're trying to... Um, to tell i yeah. can segue now if you want i've got a really good segue absolutely speaking of segways speaking of stories that you want to tell a while back i had a problem with my iphone when i was out running uh my first ever half marathon uh, a gel pack i have exploded uh, and it managed to work its way into my phone oh. uh, and i got the dreaded error 53 before it even became a thing in the paper now, for those, who, well, for those who don't know, error 53 is when your touch ID sensor is broken. It can either be tampered with, it could have liquid spilled into it, but if that touch ID uh, thing is broken, you your phone basically breaks when you try and do an update. Yep. But it's good news because in the iOS 9.2.1 update, if you put that onto your phone, it will get around this bricking. It won't work if you install it over there. You have to do it via iTunes. You probably have to put your phone into DFU mode, yep. so make sure you've got a backup of it. But if you've bricked your iPhone, blah, you're probably going to have to do it that way. But the uh, the iPhone bug, known as Air 53, looks like it's now been fixed. Hmm. Interesting. That was a poor. That was a poor segue. I know, but it, it, it was worth the shot. It sounded better. It sounded better when I rehearsed it in my head. Well, you know, we were going to take a break and uh, do a different segment, but we've gone too long, so we're just going to keep pushing right ahead. Um, I'm going to talk about this more with David next week, because I believe David is back next week. But probably the biggest news that's worth talking about right now, Mark, is Apple's battle with the uh, FBI and the federal government about unlocking a phone. And it seems to me that people are really coming down one of two ways. Either A, uh, hey, this is uh, this was a terrorist attack. This guy's a murderer. I, I don't understand why Apple won't help law enforcement and unlock this phone for them. Or B, privacy advocates who say, no, this is a, a can of worms. You, you Apple can't do this. It's not about this one act. It's... The larger implications are 
do we really want backdoors into our phones that anybody would be able to exploit? Now, when I say anybody, I mean bad guys, rogue governments, um, hackers. Because once you built in an exploit like this, there's no way it stays within Apple. No. Uh, this has been interesting because the government have tried many, many ways to slowly erode down privacy worse than Google. Because we've had the, the SOPAL Act, we've had the COPA Act. Uh, I know in America they've been trying to... They put through the Senate and then they get railroaded uh, and they get put out of action by people. But then what happens is they're going in a slightly different way with slightly different wording to get more or less uh, the same powers as before. So the government certainly are giving up on this. The British government are absolutely uh, in arms at the moment because they can't get access to Apple's technology. Even though Apple say, well, we can't decrypt it. If we can't decrypt it and we make it, um, how do you expect us to decrypt it for you? I... I'm very much on the fence on this one. I can see both sides of the argument. I think if you've got nothing to hide, then that's fair enough. But let's say, for example, um, I look at um, piped bunged, and I end up accidentally doing a typo for a pipe bomb, bunged, bomb, say things like that. Does that mean then I start getting flagged up and my phone starts getting watched? And if I don't go to a correct website, there's going to be a back a backdoor made into my phone it's it's a very political conversation as well um but although funnily enough just reading another article now john mcafee of mcafee antivirus fame claims he can decrypt the iphone yeah he's, which will keep apple from having he's nutty go on he, he's he's uh, he said he'll he's he if he can't do it within three weeks he'll eat his own shoe i mean the guy's a not bag. He, he's he's been. If if I'm telling, you, go read his history. What he's been doing lately in the last ten years. The guy is cuckoo for cocoa puffs. I mean, oh, he's, yeah, he's he's a, he's a nut yeah. bag. Um, he's functioned sort of a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> he. Well, yeah. It, to me, this really comes down to one thing. Does the government have a right in the name of safety? Do they have a right to completely invade anybody's privacy? Um, I don't think their track record, whether it's the American government and what's came out because of Edward Snowden or China or the UK or France or anybody else. I don't think their track record is particularly good when it comes to respecting the privacy of their own citizens. And so Not when fine. technologies exist, they all revert to the same thing. They all revert to scare tactics and worst case scenarios, straw man arguments on why they have to have this. And, and it's for our safety. And you could set your watch by it because they can't win the argument on its own merits. They have to rely on scare tactics. And if there's one thing that we all know is true is that many people are sheep and nobody wants a terrorist attack. Nobody wants bad guys to get away. Apple doesn't want to help terrorists win. 
Uh, but that's not what this is about, even though the government wants to make it about just that. And I, when I start hearing these arguments again and again and again, and it's arguments that, um, Mark, you and I have been hearing for many, many years. I just remember a quote from Benjamin Franklin. And I, to me, it, it completely sums up how I feel about this topic, as well as the pat-downs at airports and full body scans and pretty much the, the camera situation in London, for instance. I mean, you, you guys can't take 10 steps anywhere in London without being recorded on video. Oh, no, it's horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous. Uh, the, the whole privacy thing just sort of... Is- it, it bugs me at times because people want their cell phones to be more efficient and faster and all these sort of things. Do you remember the outcry when it was said that Apple are secretly storing cell tower locations so they can monitor where you are? Yeah. And it just turned out that, no, Apple are mapping cell tower locations for your phone. That doesn't necessarily equate to Apple are spying on you. So it was, it was all manner of twisted out of proportion. Sure. And they forgot it, so all Apple had to do was encrypt it, and everything, this whole thing went away. Uh, just just went away. Well, the quote from What's... Benjamin Franklin, let me finish that real quick. Sorry, yeah. Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. I think that is just so brilliant. It's such yeah. a perfect quote that... When you figure Ben Franklin <laughs> said this hundreds of years ago, and we're still fighting against the same tyranny of governments who want to spy on their own people in the name of safety. And it's, it's amazing as well that as humans, as people who download apps, how much privacy we give away just for an app. Yeah, that's that the, that's the other app. That's that's exactly. We we all want our our privacy, but yet we're posting on Facebook uh, everything where we're at. We're checking into all these places. Uh, we're using apps that basically say, "Hey, we can use your data." I'm I'm. You're going into LinkedIn and you're posting all of this very private information. You're. It's amazing how much privacy we're willing to give up ourselves. But when it comes to governments spying on us, that we don't like. Yeah, it, it is kind and of it's 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 funny. It's it's the thing where you can kind of see. I think where this issue lies is is that if we have trust in the FBI, if we have trust in the surveillance systems, if we have the trust with the powers that be this would not be an issue. Right. But the fact that we don't, the fact that we're even questioning, well, hang on a second, why do you want this? Who's going to monitor you? The fact that we've all been so majorly burnt, I think is the bigger overreaching uh, question than actually giving up the data. And I'm very, very surprised at Tim Cook, at how he's, how aggressive he's come out against this. I really, really am. And the only last time I think I can recall Tim sort of taking such a big stance was with the shareholders meeting. Uh, it was along the lines of the accessibility mode, and someone said, "Do you do you think the accessibility modes are worth it given the RO the ROI on accessibility mode?" And I think he says, "We don't sometimes uh, we don't bloody care about the return on uh, return on investment on accessibility accessibility features. If you, that's what you care about, then I suggest you sell your stocks." Yep. And it's like, whoa, Tim. 
blinking oh fella i've got a bit more respect for you after that so well i think I, I think this is a personal thing for for tim um and some people could say you know what it, He's a very private person. I mean, look how long it ta- it took him to come out publicly about his sexuality. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that this is a personal thing for him. And I don't really care why it's a personal thing for him, as long as it is. And that we have someone in a position like the CEO of Apple. And to Google's credit, they came out at least lukewarm in support of Tim's position. Um, Microsoft, on the other hand, really hasn't said much of anything yet. Um, we need these companies. And Apple is in uh, such a huge position of influence here to really stick up for our rights. Because at the end of the day, it's not just our rights. It's also their rights. It's yeah. it's everybody's rights. and. Um- I hope he doesn't lose that passion for it. I, I hope they don't capitulate and, and just help with just the FBI is saying now, well, we're not asking for them to build a, a permanent backdoor or anything like that. It's just this one case. We just want a, it's if they want a version of iOS yeah. just for them. That for just Apple that one phone. No, no, no. Just for them. No, they're even saying Apple can keep, they can do it themselves at Apple. But you know, Dan, it's bullshit. You know, Apple or you know the FBI. As soon as they get that phone back, is going to reverse engineer it, and so they can use it in investigations going forward. And oh, I applaud, it, yeah. I applaud any law enforcement who I, has to pick- fight terrorism and murder and 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 mass killings and stuff yep. like that. I want to help them as much as humanly possible, within reason. And when I say within reason, I mean I don't think we need to give up liberties on a worldwide basis for the potential safety that, that this, because here's the thing. It's not going to stop anything. It's not going to change anything. Terrorists are going to, you know, do their thing regardless of whether they're using an iPhone that's encrypted or not. This isn't going to change anything at all. And if you're willing to give up a little bit of liberty for a little bit of potential safety, then you don't deserve that safety nor the liberty. No, I, and I agree with you. I mean, I mean, let's go. Let's go for a basic example. Touch ID. So, Touch ID has been the best security measure on a phone. I would say in a very long time. You look at the amount of iPhones that have probably uh, been rendered useless because they've been set up and they've been stolen or lost. In fact, theft was down something horrifically in London alone, purely when Touch ID came out because if a thief gets hold of a phone, uh, they can't unlock it. And then if they even try and do the DFU reset hack, it, it gets nowhere. And that's a brilliant thing. You know, Apple don't get enough praise for Touch ID other than the fact it's too fast when it works. But, you know, we go on about privacy. Why is Android not getting, and I'm not Android bashing here, this is just uh, a perspective. There was a phone on Android that had a fingerprint scanner that stored the fingerprints as a BMP <laughs> that if you could root an Android phone, you get access to it. We get all the, you know, with its biggest market share in the world, Android is such a big security risk, and yet yeah, and the FBI are probably happy about that because they can get backdoors into it. But the second we have a device that's ours and it's private to us, and you know, we make the decisions as people, like, do I want this walking up to track where, to track where I go so I can probably earn $10 in a year? And most people go, yes. You know, in, in the bigger picture, 
having things like Touch ID has probably been better for all the cumulative amount of money probably spent by police forces around the world having to log reports of lost iPhones than this terrorist attack. And you nailed it on the head. If people want to do that, they will find a way to do it. The second they know that the iPhone is compromised, they'll move on. It was like the, the London riots... Yeah. Um, allegedly, the story I had was that the, the main people that instigated the riots or the people that were going around organizing things used BBM. But BBM isn't secure anymore. That, that went out a long time ago. But it's, it's because they weren't aware of this, that's how they got tracked down. Yep. Um, it, I, again, if the FBI have said to Apple, here is a phone, you look after it, you get all the data off there for us, I, I think that's a very noble gesture, but I think Apple have probably, for Apple to back down now, I think would be a horrendously bad PR piece. Not that that's the point of it all, but I think they would, they're just too far down the line to say, look, we are here for the users, for the people. This is why we make the phones that we do. This is why we've taken these decisions not to let people in. Uh, and to quote a phrase, Pandora's box. Once you open it just a bit, there's no way back. Yep. Well, Mark, I want to thank you very much for coming on Tech Fan this week. Um, you know, you agreed to do this less than 12 hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do appreciate that. And uh, I, I'm sorry about interrupting your run. I know you went for a run this morning. Um, well, you've got John Nemo to blame for all this because I saw the email and I held off. Then John goes, Mark, you should get in contact with Tim. So this is all Nemo's fault. Yeah, we blame Nemo for a lot of things, so nothing new there. <laughs> <laughs> so where can uh, people find more stuff about you, about what you're writing? Because uh, your, you've got uh, – you, you podcast yourself. So let's let's do some plugs yes, here, man. Uh, well, yeah, well, you can catch my writings, which are a little bit behind. Oh, that was a heck of a time. If you for want Skype. to listen to uh -oh. more voice, uh, uh, hold on, hold on, Mark. We we completely lost yeah. you. Skype kind of roboted you out there. So let's let's do that again. Uh, your writing. Where are they going to find your writing at? Right. So if they can find my writing at essentialmac.co.uk. If you want to hear more on my voice, you can hear the current version of my uh, podcast, which is called the Rampant Mumblings, which is. Slightly Apple-based, but it's more Apple and what I do with it in the real world. So if I'm going out running, I'm testing things like Fitbit, I'm testing headphones, I'm testing apps, I'm testing cases and apps. And you know, I look at things, I go, right, okay, so you're telling me you can do this. Let's get past all the, all the marketing BS and say, what does it do? How well does it do, does it, do it? So you can find the ramp-up mumblings on the iTunes you can also get me on the Mac and Forth show with Mr. Carl Madden. Uh, that's coming back soon. So if you want something else to listen to, you can catch me on there. And finally, you can get me on the Twitter at Ocean Speed. I'm just writing it down. Ocean Speed. Yep. And I Where did that come from? Uh, it was an old handle from back in my IRC days. <laughs> well, IRC, whatever happened to that? Uh, I kind of... You know, nostalgia is a funny thing because we all look back on the way things used to be and go, oh, things are so much better. But let's be honest, they weren't. <laughs> yeah, but the thing was, we were, new, we were calling people noobs before noobs even knew what a noob was. That's true. Absolutely. We were, we were there at the start of the ridiculing of people who didn't quite know what they were doing for no fault of their own. 
Actually, I never really did that. I mean, my Mac started in 1995 because I wanted to provide uh, other Mac users uh, a resource for finding good stuff and reviews and how to use their machines a little bit more effectively. And I mean, that was 1995. I, I uploaded the first issue to AOL, eWorld, CompuServe, some first-class BBSs. I've been doing this for a long time, but Mark, oh, again. That's a good point. You can, all, yeah. you can also catch my writings on the MyMac.com website as well. Sorry, yeah. I forgot to mention that. Oh, that's okay. You did it at the beginning of the show, actually, so. <laughs> ah right. We well, can get me on. You can get me on the my Mac. Show, you can get me on the my Mac show as well with my reviews. And currently, uh, from the my Mac, I'm reviewing a plug bug by Twelve Sound, which is a lovely little dongle that goes onto your MacBook uh, brick. Uh, it gives you a Euro converter, so you can go around the. Well, sorry, it gives you a converter to pretty much go around the world with, and it gives you an extra USB socket which charges it charges at two point one amps. Twelve. So that's been. 12 South's a great company. I've always liked oh, their products. They don't have a lot of products, but when they come out with something new, it's usually really good. If 12 South are listening, this product has saved my life because I've been able to charge up everything from my MacBook and my watch on the 12 bug, the plug bug as well. And if I need a quick charge on the watch before I go out, it does that as well. So highly recommended is the 12 South plug bug. And so with that, we want to ask our listeners if you have any comments, questions, you name it. The easiest way to get a hold of us is email. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com. Of course, you can leave a comment at techfanpodcast.com or mymac.com. Uh, just find the show notes for whatever episode you just listened to. This one is 243. Leave a comment there, and we will read them here on the show. Uh, of course, we didn't do it this week or last week, so we do have a few comments for when David comes back. And uh, with that, we will be back next week. Thanks a lot again, Mark. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a blast. <laughs>